As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Halloween is big here in our house and uh, already Kat has started decorating for Halloween. We were kind of joking because we were at like a home goods store or something and they have all this Halloween stuff out, you know, plates and dishes and little figurines and we got to laughing about how we really we shop for our home decor that we use all year long just at Halloween. I got a really cute platter uh, with a couple of skulls and they're obviously in love uh-huh. and so I thought well, it's kind of like you and me and so now that <laughs> yeah, we both have skulls that and- will forever live. Uh, on a shelf in our home. That's just, it's not Halloween decor, it's home decor. Kat also put a little table with a bowl of uh, candy on it outside our door in the hallway at our apartment building. Yeah, but that's not for Halloween. It's not a, It's not Halloween candy. It's just candy. Just candy. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's just for our neighbors. I think that maybe they misunderstood because I've noticed since you did that, people are decorating their doors for Halloween already and putting little bowls of candy out. Well, I don't know that that was really my influence. I know that this building hosts Halloween decorating contests oh, for is doors. That it? Okay. So I think that's just something that happens. Well, my thought is they saw it and they think that maybe the contest has begun. So now they're either following your lead or just pissed off that you got the jump on them. Well, I hope they're not too pissed off. And maybe if they are, they could have a piece of candy and calm down a little. (laughs) Well, with Halloween in our sights, you know, we're only a few weeks away. It's Halloween quarter. I thought I'd tell you this story. Since 1938, parts of eastern Kentucky have echoed with the story of a killer ghost. As the story goes, this ghost is responsible for at least five unexplained deaths. And in each case, the cause of death was frighteningly similar. Strangely so. Is it a roadside ghost? More or less a roadside ghost. I love a roadside ghost story. It's the story of a guy named Carl Pruitt. In June of 1938, Carl had been working, he'd been at work, but returned home earlier than expected. And he walked into his cabin and caught his wife in bed with another guy. (gasps) 
Yeah, the man uh, leapt out of bed and jumped out the window, effectively avoiding Carl's uh, wrath. But his wife, however, was not as fortunate. A la Shawshank Redemption. In a blind rage, though, Carl grabbed a length of chain and strangled his wife to death with it. Oof. As the story goes, he immediately regretted it as his blind rage subsided. He was so overcome with guilt and regret that he ended his, ended his own life. Oh, my goodness. But that wasn't enough for Pruitt's wife's family to forgive him. They refused to bury him with their daughter. Um, now, Pruitt did not have any immediate family, so it was pretty much up to his in-laws to do whatever the hell they wanted to with, uh, with his remains. Oh, that's a rough situation. It is. They refused to not only bury him in the same cemetery. That's fair, I think. They buried him in a cemetery in an entirely different town. And within a few short weeks, visitors to that cemetery started noticing strange markings beginning to appear on Pruitt's gravestone. Um, it started with several small circles, and they continued to grow until they looked remarkably like a chain. The markings were caused by an unusual discoloration in the stone, uh, and it continued to add links until the chain formed a cross, and then it stopped growing. What uh, are the circles made of? It's just a discoloration in the stone, kind of like Buck's tomb in the Bucksport. Foot? Yeah, the, the leg that's on the, uh, on the gravestone there. It looks like it's a natural weathering mm -hmm. kind of thing, but... You remove it and it comes back and maybe it's something in the stone. We don't know. Interesting. People in the town, even though it wasn't the town that Carl was from, they knew Carl Pruitt's story. Word spread quickly of the strange phenomenon taking place at the graveyard. <laughs> About a month after the chain was discovered on the gravestone and the stories began circulating, a group of boys were riding their bicycles past the cemetery one afternoon and... You know, boys will be boys, and one of them started daring the other, you know, hey, I bet you don't dare touch that stone. And so one of the boys, his name was James Collins, decided to throw rocks at the gravestone. His rock throwing caused several spots on the gravestone to chip. As the young boys started home, Collins' bicycle suddenly began to pick up speed, even though he was going up an incline. He lost control of his bike. He went off the road and crashed into a tree. That killed him. Oh, my gosh. Now, here's the weird part. The chain on his bike came off somehow and ended up wrapping itself around his neck. No one could explain how that happened. Huh. Uh, when the boys went back with authorities to the cemetery, Pruitt's grave no longer had chips in it. The boys swear that it did when they left. The mother of James Collins was understandably devastated by her son's death. Yeah. A month goes by, and during this month, she heard all of these stories about how the gravestone was cursed and how Pruitt's ghost was responsible for the death of her son. Now, she's highly emotional, dealing with all of this grief, and so that began to make a lot of sense to her. She went to the graveyard with a small hand axe, attempting to destroy Pruitt's gravestone, and she bashed away at it for some time. When she returned, she told neighbors that she had reduced the gravestone to a dozen small pieces. But isn't that what got her son in trouble in the first place? Yeah. The next day, she was hanging laundry out to dry. And in a twist of irony, the clothesline that she was using was made from small, thin-linked chain rather than rope or wire. 
It appeared as though somehow she, she slipped and fell with her neck becoming entangled in the chain and ended up strangling herself to death. Now, there are those who say that perhaps this was intentional because she was so grief-stricken. But others say it's another example of this restless spirit of a vengeful ghost. Huh. So the people she told about how she smashed the gravestone up. To bits. Yeah. They went out to inspect the gravestone and it showed no signs of destruction. It was completely intact. Aha. This, of course, added more fuel to the rumors. A local farmer and three members of his family were riding past the cemetery uh, shortly after this uh, in a wagon, in a horse-drawn wagon. And the children, of course, they were telling this story about the cursed tombstone. And the father, to illustrate how silly that was, fired his revolver as they went by at Pruitt's tombstone. Oh, and man. chunks flew off the marker. The unexpected firing of the guns spooked the horses, and they began to run. The family members jumped to safety. Soon the wagon was out of control. The farmer was still on the wagon, frantically trying to rein the horses in. The wagon hit a sharp curve, and he was thrown from it, and his neck got caught on the trace chains in the harness. And the motion of the horses snapped his neck. By now, everyone was convinced that the grave was cursed. They even contacted a local congressman to go out with law enforcement to investigate. Couldn't you just, like, not damage his gravestone? Like, would not that solve this issue? Well, you would think so, yeah. This congressman and two uh, police officers go out to investigate the cemetery. And uh, it's said that none of them took the stories very seriously. And they were at the cemetery and they were just kind of joking about it. And they took a few pictures of of the gravestone and then went to talk to some other witnesses. As they were leaving, the officer that was driving looked in his rearview mirror and saw what he said was a bright light coming from Pruitt's tombstone. And at first he assumed... It was a reflection from the car's taillight. But then it started to get closer, so he sped off, and the lights continued to gain on the police car. He continued driving faster and faster. His partner was pleading with him to slow down. The car left the road and crashed between two posts, and it rolled over several times. Now, the officer in the passenger side was thrown clear and wasn't badly hurt. He scrambled to his feet and rushed to the aid of his partner. His partner, however, was dead. The car had passed between two posts and it struck a chain that was attached. It destroyed the car's windshield and nearly decapitated the driver. Huh. And what year was this, you said? This was in the 40s. Okay. At this point. The early 40s. The stories are now reaching a fever pitch. One man... A guy named Arthur Lewis said he didn't believe them and he would prove that there was nothing to the story. How was he going to prove it? By damaging the two? Come on. He told his friends he's going to the cemetery with a sledgehammer and he was going to take care of the tombstone once and for all. He didn't return and the next day his friends found Lewis dead at the cemetery with a long chain that was used to keep the cemetery gate closed wrapped around his neck. Sorry, cemetery gates. Okay. Speculation is that while he was there, he saw something that frightened him. And in in his hurry to leave, he got wrapped up in the chain and strangled. Now, (laughs) this is a very small cemetery. And after this final death 
family members decided that the cemetery, the entire cemetery was cursed. And so they actually began to remove bodies of their loved ones and have them buried elsewhere. Now, it wasn't like a big cemetery. It was more like a family plot. There might have been 15, sure. 20 graves or something. So the site became overgrown. Weeds and thickets slowly began to reclaim this plot of land. But, of course, Pruitt, you said, didn't have any family, and probably his in-laws weren't like, yeah, let's move his body. So his body was left, right? Yes. Yeah. In 58, 1958, the land was that once was this cemetery was destroyed for good by a strip mining operation. There's no word on what happened to Carl Pruitt's body. And the five strange chain-related deaths, I guess you could say they were all linked, have never been fully explained. So I thought, cool story. I went to Ancestry.com to see if I could find any public records that would uh, back this story up. I was able to find a Carl Pruitt that died in that area in 1937, but that's the only thing I could find. But regardless whether the story is true or simply just a really cool urban legend, it doesn't really matter because everybody loves a great ghost story. (laughs) Probably true, though. My source material, cool, interesting stuff, Beyond the Grave, written by uh, Troy Taylor, and somerset-kentucky.com. I mean, I think there's a valuable lesson here. Just leave stuff alone. Vandalism can lead to nasty chain-related deaths. Right. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me 
updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. Nikola Tesla once wrote, Alpha waves in the human brain are between 6 and 8 hertz. The wave frequency of the human cavity resonates between 6 and 8 hertz. All biological systems operate in the same frequency range. The human brain's alpha waves function in this range, and the electric resonance of the Earth is between 6 and 8 hertz. The brain and the Earth itself work on the same frequencies. If we can control that resonance system electronically, we can directly control the entire mental system of humankind. He wrote that sometime in the 1920s. Nikola Tesla a pretty forward-thinking dude. Ducky shared this to our Freaks group on Facebook. Prepare your pork taint for one spooky boo effect. Okay, cat, get out of my head. <laughs> I woke up this morning from one of the most terrifying dreams I've ever had. I was trapped in a game show. Uh-oh. All the contestants go down a water slide, like the one pictured, and they shared one of those uh, water slides that's kind of like a swoopy whoopy, like curly cue, swirly, yep. swirly girls. Except then you are trapped. Barriers prevent you from going down. The water prevents you from going up. You are in complete darkness. Oh my god! This is my nightmare. You have to answer trivia or perform a trick to go further down the slide, and you don't know how far you'll go or where the end is. Think of The Descent meets Ronald McDonald's Playland. <laughs> I woke up having a panic slash asthma attack. My chest felt like it had a brick on it. I couldn't catch my breath. I just laid there, freaked out, and then I turn on another delightful episode of Every. One's favorite podcast. And what do my wandering ears hear Kat talking about? Completely bonkers game shows. Yeah. I would rather have Dom Pardo judge my nether regions than go down <laughs> another water slide. Any hoozle, I'm okay now. Thanks for the years to my ears. Mad clown love to you and JG. Oh, thanks, <laughs> Ducky. You mentioned Don Pardo, legendary game show announcer mm -hmm. and also announcer for Saturday Night Live for decades. He lived in Tucson, and I have a friend in Tucson that was his neighbor, and they both did voice work. And so Don befriended my friend, 
and gave him a tour of his house in, nice. in Tucson, which was really nice. But he said the weirdest part was they were going through his den and he just, he say, uh, here's my, uh, my entertainment center and here's my microphone where I record things for Saturday Night Live. And then he points to a bookcase and he, full of DVDs and said, there's my porn collection <laughs> over here is my, and he just kept mo- going on like it was no big deal. And he was probably like 85 at the time. I so love <laughs> how much do you love Don Pardo more now? That's wonderful. I think it's interesting that this dream depicts something that I am legitimately so scared of. Mm. And we've talked about this many times because I love I love a slide. I am into a fun thing. I like a fun thing, mm-hmm. but enclosed slides yeah. make me so, so anxious because of that claustrophobia and that fear that something's going to go wrong and I'm going to get trapped in one. So, I mean, this is... Your nightmare is also my nightmare. My nightmare was the Ronald McDonald Playland. That's just (laughs) terrifying. I got caught in Big Mac more than once, and that little climber thing was embarrassing. I was like 22. Anyway. The, uh, Mayor McCheese. Burglar. Burglar. The, the, uh, Hamburglar. Yeah, there we go. Oh, man. Burglar McBurglar. Wayne sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. At the beginning of Box 467, you were talking about how you would each prefer to be taken care of in the end. Uh, You both mentioned having the other unplug yourself if things are getting bad. But I immediately had a thought about the unplugging being the removal of butt plugs. They're, (laughs) They're always on my shopping list. Wayne says, I can't imagine how many of them you guys have at this point. Just a fun trucker thought. Enjoy the show. I normally don't email, but this one just was a bit too funny to keep to myself. It's funny because we have a dog toy that's in the shape of a small, stumpy-looking fish. Yeah. And it's rubber and hard, and the... Uh, cleaning lady was here the other day and fellow man was like you should put this away before she <laughs> sees it and I was like that is a dog toy what are you talking about and you're like no it looks suspiciously like a butt plug <laughs> it really does not that I have a lot of you know experience identifying uh-huh. butt mm. plugs it seems like you do all of a sudden no mm-hmm. hey there I'm Dylan Lewis one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
and you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know that I have to record these liners live every time this podcast gets played? I haven't slept in years. This is The Box of Oddities. Big thanks to Melissa for suggesting this topic. Now, as we've discussed, vampires were considered very real for a period of time. Serious scientists in London were producing widely read papers discussing vampire behavior. Dr. Groom, a professor of English at Exeter University, said for many years, vampirism was a serious subject for research. On the one hand, it was a terrifying medical disorder. On the other, mass delusion featured by wretched social conditions. Now, physicians in the 1730s recorded the physical symptoms of vampire attacks. From shivering to nausea to spasms, nightmares were a symptom of having been attacked by a vampire, and of course, death. That was a pretty severe symptom, actually. Alleged reports of vampires reached their peak in Europe in the 18th century. London press had reported that in Hungary, there were dead bodies sucking the blood out of the living for the latter visibly dry up, while the former are filled with blood. Wow. Of course, we know that this hysteria began as a reaction to the unknown, the unknown of the cause of untimely deaths, the unknown reason someone might be fearful of daylight, the unknown steps of decomposition. But the so-called Great Vampire Epidemic from roughly 1720s to 1750s, the vampire lore spread like wildfire. So for those three decades, this was a major concern for people. They're hearing stories about, uh, wow, the dead are rising and hungry and eating each other. Yeah. Yeah. There are scientific papers being published about it. There are news articles spread across the nations that say, you know, this is something you need to watch out for. Wow. Vampires. Of course, legends had been about before then. Records of undead myths in Eastern Europe date back as far as the 11th century. And we talked about the Venetian vampire, a female, quote-unquote, vampire who was unearthed in a mass grave near Venice. She was from the 16th century and had been discovered among medieval plague victims in 2006. Uh, What was different about her body was that it was found with a brick forced into her jaw. Yeah, yeah an exorcism technique used on suspected vampires. Sightings of vampires were reported in journals and gazettes in Poland and Russia in the late 1600s. But in the 1700s is when things got really intense. As vampires were supposedly stalking the countryside and sucking the blood out of humans and animals, and then engorged with their blood, it would flow from their eyeballs and pores and other orifices, and people were scared. And I think that the degree of fear is equal to, well, it can be calibrated with what orifice you're bleeding out of. I've always found that to be true. Regardless of whether you're a vampire. Or what century it is. 
One popular hypothesis among scholars is that new people, strangers to the town, might have been targeted as vampires. And that makes sense because if uh, someone from out of town brought in an illness and people start dying, sure. yeah. they, you know, they just see that person coming into town, not necessarily the weird cough that they have with them. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's... It's vampirism and not the plague. And oftentimes symptoms of the plague were equated with vampirism, as was the symptoms and side effects of consumption or tuberculosis. Rabies as well. Rabies. Rabies. There is a very strong theory that rabies was one of the the things that really kicked off this hysteria Hmm. because rabies symptoms are so much like the things that are described in Vampire lore. Also zombie attacks. Hmm? Zombies. Yeah, people really didn't get rabies for a while there. So when an outsider would come into town, death would follow. um, And it was death by way of illness, not necessarily the the daytime sleeping, nighttime blood-sucking manner of death. Anyway, let's transport ourselves to a tiny village in Serbia. The village is called Kisislova. It's now known as Kisiljevo. And the year is 1725. So we know that we're right at the, the beginning of this really intense vampire fear time. It's like the satanic panic uh, of the 1700s. I don't know why I stuttered there. <laughs> this was a tough time to be in this part of the world. Uh, Serbia, this part of Serbia had been passed around. um, And so there was a lot of tumultuous political change at the time. Of course, winters there are rough. They're superstitious people. And so all of this together, alongside villagers dying, well, it's concerning and scary. And you want to find a reason why. I was just going to say, and it's human nature to want to have an explanation as to why these things are happening. Right. One of the people who died was Peter Blagojevich. In the days following this peasant's funeral, several other people in the village unexpectedly passed away. And as such, in the village, there began to spread a rumor that Blagojevich had risen from the dead as a vampire. As more people are passing away and the rumor is spreading, so is the fear. And strangely, on their deathbeds, victims began claiming to have been strangled by Peter the night before. Some said that he'd crept into their home and laid on top of them and crushed the breath from their lungs. Peter at this point has been buried for days. Within eight days, nine people died. So the people of the village wanted to disinter Peter Blagojevich. They demanded that their government official, along with a local priest, be present at the event. One, to keep track of what was going on. They wanted it documented. And also because they wanted someone from the government to see what was going on here. The Frombald, who was the the local official... He tried to convince them that they needed permission from the Austrian authorities to dig up Peter. And the locals were like, no, by the time that happens, everyone in this village is going to be dead. (laughs) Because night after night, he is sucking the breath out of people. So they went ahead with the exhumation. 
And the townspeople were not at all surprised to find that his body was not as decomposed as they would expect. They noted that his nails seemed to have grown and that his hair seemed to be growing as well. According to the military representative, there was not the slightest smell of death. The hands, face, and feet, the whole body, were so recreated that they, in his lifetime, could not have been more complete. And here comes the scariest bit. In his mouth did I see fresh blood, which, after the general opinion, he had sucked from those killed by him. That was a common excuse to name somebody a vampire when, they, when they've exhumed them. A little bit of blood coming from their mouths. Right. Uh, which, I don't know, for dead people in those days before they would embalm them, doesn't seem like a very unusual condition I to guess have. they weren't oft to dig up someone that they didn't think was a vampire. Mm -hmm. So they weren't studying the ones that were like, oh, well, this one's chill. Yeah. Now let's look at its dead body. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. True. Correlation does not equal causation. Anyway, how to deal with a corpse that you've deemed to be a vampire varied depending on the region that you lived in. Vampire burials, which could involve putting a stake through the corpse, covering the body in garlic... These were things that were thought to keep a person from continuing to attack after death and were very common in Slavic folklore. In Everything You Need to Know About Vampires, they suggest mix flour with the blood of the slain vampire and make it into a bread and eat it to prevent against vampire attacks. Yeah, yeah that doesn't sound uh, sanitary. No, and... Can you imagine that that might cause more problems? I would think probably there's a good opportunity for disease to spread. Archaeologists working at a site in Poland recently unearthed a woman's body that had been buried with a sickle placed not alongside her, but across her neck. Oh. In such a way that if she were to sit up in her grave, it would chop her head off. Huh. She also had a padlock on the toe of her left foot. In an article in Smithsonian, Professor Darius Polinski said other ways to protect against the return of the dead include cutting off the head or legs. I don't know if cutting off the legs would prevent them from returning, but it would prevent them from returning quickly. And probably it would limit any vampire bites to below the waist. And some might find that pleasurable. Placing the deceased face down to bite into the ground is also suggested. Burning the corpse and smashing it with a stone. So anyway, the villagers put a stake through Peter's corpse and they claimed there was a huge flow of blood, fresh bread-making blood, from the <laughs> mouth and ears of the corpse. His remains were burned and then left under an unmarked tombstone. After that, the village claimed there were no unnatural deaths, especially not from like rabies or pellagra or plague or whatever. The story of Blagojevich brings occasional visitors to the cemetery in search of his unmarked grave, and the town is about it. Kisilyevo hopes to develop the destination as a vampire-themed village, using one of the <laughs> earliest and most well-documented vampire stories to draw tourists from across the globe. And I gotta say, they have enticed me. Yeah, I want to go. Absolutely. The only the thing that really bums me out is that this grave is unmarked. Yeah. So if you could go and see, I mean, it, it is historical, and it's one of the earliest 
most well-documented vampire stories in the region. So, yeah, it would be really interesting to, to see. But, um, I mean, you could also make your, your cute little village all vampire-y, and I'd still want to go. I'm with you on that. I got my information from India Times, Milwaukee Independent, Atlas Obscura, The Daily Mail, All That's Interesting, and Aussie.com. Since we are kind of in a Halloween mode right now, both Ghost of our... story, vampire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought it'd uh, be a good time to maybe mention, hey, send us your stories for our Halloween special. We need your spooky. Yeah, if you've had any kind of uh, paranormal experience or something that happened that was unusual and unexplained, whether it was you or a family member or somebody that you know, record the story on your on your smartphone and then email it to us at curator at the box of oddities.com. And on the subject line, write Halloween story. You could end up in our next Halloween special. Haunted house, haunted car, talking cats. We want your stories. Do you remember that talking cat story, the mommy help me story? Mommy help me. <laughs> Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> Submissions are now open. You can uh, you can send it to us, curator at theboxofoddities.com, and mark it Halloween Story. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.